0: It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicca Man.
1: A warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program.
0: Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Hi, Scott here, joining me today, it's Stephen's turn, hello sir. Hello mate. how you doing? Very well, very well, 50 has finally caught up with me, we were talking off air, I'm going to talk about this now because I know you're going to drop this in at some point and take the mickey out of me. <laughs> As listeners may be aware, this has been brought up on other podcasts that I do. I'm not sure if we've mentioned it here or not. I turned 50 a couple of weeks ago, which is not amazingly old, you know, but it's one of those landmark birthdays.
1: It's hit you with a bang, though,
0: hasn't it? It hit me me in the worst possible way. Um, (laughs) I fell asleep in the chair last night, and... It was, only, it, was a, it was a snooze, Stephen. More of a, you know, just a gentle... A power nap, you know. You if I wanna, that nap. Yeah, a power nap if I want to be really, you know, about it. <laughs> and as I explained to you earlier, I woke up after sort of 10 minutes and I just actually couldn't get out of the chair. My, my back had gone while I was asleep. And I don't know how it happened. And if you could have seen me at 11 o'clock last night like a, a, a stranded tortoise on its back rocking myself to try and get out of the chair onto my knees and crawl over to the sofa and climb up the sofa and try and get up the stairs not a pretty sight if, if that's what 50 is all about you can keep it mate you know i'm going back to being 49
1: yeah i think i'd have probably wet myself if i'd have seen you yeah you wouldn't have <laughs> like helped that.
0: you wouldn't have helped would you <laughs> no oh, i
1: would have eventually after i'd taken enough photos and uh, yeah blackmail
0: you know. material
1: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so I don't recommend 50. I know you've got a a fair few years before you, you know. Oh,
1: Not that many. Not as many as uh, (laughs) as some people think, no. That's true. Um, (laughs) uh, It's rapidly approaching, and, uh, you know, I'll be buying a walking stick before I get there when I'm 49, just in case I need it like you I have got
0: one. I have got a walking stick because, as I say, (laughs) it's it's not a serious condition, but my back sometimes goes. And the only way I can take the pressure off is, is, is with a stick, yes. Thank you for bringing that up.
1: <laughs> and you mean you lead on the stick, not beat you back with the stick? No, I
0: don't, no that might be a better <laughs> way. Well,
1: Self-flagellation.
0: Yeah, no. might be a better way of dealing with it, to be honest.
1: <laughs> I imagine uh, copious amounts of um, alcohol might help as well. That
0: might be the reason why I fell asleep in the first place, to be honest. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Right, there you go then. Can I just say, we're, we're knocking out these episodes at a rapid rate of knots yes. you know we're recording weekly we're pretty much putting the episodes out weekly and we've we've still got you know a, a good buffer of episodes behind us this is the first episode that i've recorded since the episode with mark from the good the bad and the Odd podcast where we recorded melody now this episode is probably going to go out in april uh melody went out mid february so can i just say because i haven't had the chance to thank him on air fantastic episode mark thank you very much for taking the time we, we were chatting for nearly two hours about that particular movie and his enthusiasm just shone through and i just want to recommend it to anybody that hasn't seen it. have you seen melody 1971
1: i haven't no And no, um, i'm looking forward to hearing about it um, yeah I, I know that he um can talk at length about things oh but yeah it's, it's but but it's actually having something to say that's worth listening to as well certainly we haven't yeah. just, just been filling air yeah uh, it's going to be something that i'm probably going to be listening to a little on today to be honest
0: have oh, a little uh, listen um yeah we do sort of go through the whole plot but it's not going to spoil anything for you and i've got a copy i can buzz over to you mate if you wanted to have a little look it's it's one of those forgotten little gems you know it's, it's the first pairing of jack wild and mark lester after Oliver which was the big selling point but what yeah. what we sort of made clear in our review was the star of the star, uh, the star of the film is actually the unknown young actress that plays Melody herself Tracy Hyde because whereas Mark Lester and Jack Wilde come across as child actors come across as stars She's just so natural. She she She's playing a 12-year-old schoolgirl, and she just comes across as a 12-year-old schoolgirl quite naturally. And it's just a magical film about growing up at school in the 70s. Lots of echoes of Kez, mate, which is why I think you're oh, going right. to like okay. it. And Gregory's yeah. Girl was another one we picked up on. That sort of like interaction between the kids and the teachers and some of the situations that are just going on in the background. Very evocative of those two movies i think you might like it so yeah let me know and i'll whack a copy over to you
1: yeah please yeah Um that'll be it, as uh when you first uh mentioned that was the next one that you're going to be recording yeah i think i'd heard the name but couldn't actually have any yeah. reference about what it was about or mm-hmm. when it was from for some reason I'd, i was aware that there was a film called melody but didn't know much more than that no when i looked at it i, I did think oh that's that's intriguing actually that yeah. might be something that I, Need to go and look into because it'd be something I could could hook me in and enjoy. So yeah, I'm glad that you're reaffirming that. So I will be going and having a good look.
0: Good man. Okay, complete change of of pace and tone from Melody for today's recording. I think I put something out on the Facebook group and on Twitter that recording two episodes this week, and they're probably the most disparate titles we've covered. We've gone from Melody in 1971. You know, a charming, sweet story about 12 year old kids in the perils of school life. So 1973 and The Wicker Man. We'll be back after this. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul,
1: freeze thy young blood.
0: I'm here to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know I suspect murder. But Sergeant, I've already In told... the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you that can stand by and see your own child slaughtered? You are the fool, Mr. Harvey. You're liars. Are despicable little liars.
1: that night. Where is Rowan Morrison?
0: If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know
1: I suspect Manda.
0: She was back. You are the fool, Mr. Where is Rowan Morrison? Oh, my God! God. The Wicker Man, released in the UK six of December 1973. What a great Christmas movie this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Robin Hardy. The writer is Anthony Schaffer. It stars Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee, Diane Quilento and Britt Eklund are the main stars here. A synopsis have you got a synopsis or would you like me to read one out sir
1: i'll let you do the synopsis yeah
0: okay the very briefest of synopsis according to imdb i think most people do know the plot to this it's a police sergeant is sent to a scottish island village in search of a missing girl who the townsfolk claim never existed stranger still are the riots that take place there whatever you read about this movie if you've never seen it before i don't think anything will prepare you
1: for what you're going to watch over
0: that that next 90 minutes
1: no and i think the not to dive too too much into <laughs> the, the depth of the review but this spans a number of different genres as far as um a film and uh it, it seems to be um, like a, a Russian doll or, or boxes within boxes as far as it's it's one genre and then at a certain point that gets opened up and there's something else inside and then that gets opened up and there's something else inside and it progresses through <laughs> and, and just changes as a film about yeah. what it is, but not in a way that's... Um, jarring at all. Jarring or anything. Yeah. No, it just is a, a more complete story that has more to it than just one element to it. So... It's, it's hard to define, um, even though it's called the greatest British horror film ever made and, and things like that. I mean, yeah. is, it, is, it, um, is it a horror film really in that sense or not? It's difficult to to, to say. I mean, it's a great great film. Mm-hmm. Well, I, don't, um, I don't think we're close It's a great it. film that is horror, but, it, but it's more than just a horror film.
0: Yeah, it definitely falls under the, the horror banner definitely falls under that but as you say there are elements of police procedural there's thriller there's there's drama there's there's gothic horror uneasy as well as these layers unwrap as you say the further you get into the story it doesn't take long for actually for you to be put on edge straight away within the first five ten minutes things are happening that you're like okay you've got me now where's this guy especially for people that have seen it you know it will be their first time watch because they're going to be like, okay, what, what is this film about? How many times have you seen this? This must be one of your regular watches, I'd have thought.
1: Oh, this... Um, I would expect that if, if I've not seen it into the double figures, then it's very close to being in the double figures. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to, be, to be honest... I, don't, I think I watched it fairly early on and didn't appreciate it. And there was quite a large gap between when I actually went back to it and when I first watched it. And then since I went back to it, it's been one that I have revisited more regularly because it's just amazing, really, mm. in, in a number of respects. Um, it's, it's definitely just bends your mind and introduces you to what cinema can be. Yeah, it is exactly
0: the same situation as me. I watched it too young. Same as. We're very similar. We've said this before. You know, we watched all those late night movies on BBC or whatever it was, 11 o'clock on a Friday night. We probably watched this when we were 10, 11, 12, possibly. I thought, yeah. Okay, that's it. You know, it's building. The main
1: attraction being that you get to see somebody's boobs. Yeah.
0: uh, I wonder if that was edited at the time. I can't remember on the BBC. It probably was, you know. And didn't appreciate just thought no that's a bit strange you know but i've seen it now it's one off the list of classic movies that i have to watch and then i went back to it in my 20s watched it a couple of times and and, and learned to appreciate it a bit more but it wasn't until we reviewed the wicker man on the stinking paws podcast about three years ago and i watched it with a critical eye which is what we tend to do for these podcasts and as you said the layers and the nuances and all the things that tie to tie this whole movie together suddenly became more apparent and i've watched it probably more in the last 3 years than i have in the rest of my life you know i've watched it definitely watched it every year since and yeah, i just love it
1: it can you know that's the thing you go back to revisit it once you once you've got over that cusp of seeing the film for what it is um, you suddenly get into the realm where the rewatches, you start picking all the nuances out that you've yeah. not seen before, and each time is a revelation of something. That, even if it's just something tiny, there's some revelation because it is so intricate, and in it's in its onion. <laughs> it is exactly,
0: skins. yeah. It's there's tiny little things. I mean, I picked this up on the review of the you know for the stinking paws that tiny little shots tiny little segments that may only be a couple of seconds and, and you, you think back and you go well, what was that about why was that included well, the, the one i picked up on is there's a scene in the classroom at the beginning and there's the empty desk where the missing schoolgirl apparently you know sat.
1: oh yes 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 i i missed that for probably the first Half a dozen times, I yeah. the 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 importance of that until uh, yeah. So, but,
0: but the, carry on. The, yeah, but the bit that really got me, and I'm, again, I must have seen it six or seven times prior to that viewing, is when they lift up the lid of the desk and there's a bug yeah. that's mm-hmm. tied to a nail, and it, it's just sort of brushed over. You know, he sort of mentions it. You know, Edward Woodward gives it a bit, you know a bit of a, a concerned look. But the more I think about that particular scene, I think that's really creepy.
1: And there's lots yeah. of little
0: things like that throughout and, the movie, and,
1: and that that is a, a metaphor for Edward Woodward's character. Go on. He's plowing on, thinking he's making headway and actually heading in the right direction and achieving something. He's picking up various clues to solve the mystery or to yeah. achieve his objective, um, and he's plowing on forward, thinking I'm getting somewhere here. I'm getting somewhere, okay. which is what which is what the the Beatles doing. Yeah, it's he, it's heading thinking it's making somewhere but in actual fact it's drawing itself closer and closer and closer towards its own doom and towards the the stage where there's no escape
0: also just thought that the scene prior to that there's a maypole very similar going round and round and you know the strings getting tighter and tighter together let's not get too deep into this if we can (laughs) avoid it for god's sake (laughs) 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 what do you like about this film because by, by rights, this this film should upset and unsettle you, but it's it is an enjoyable movie at the end of the day.
1: Well, by rights, this should this should be something that um, is either discarded completely as being a complete and utter mess because it isn't any one thing <laughs> and there's so many bits in it that it just doesn't make sense in some ways, or it should be held up as being such a great film it it should be studied by everybody and and uh, emulated and um held on a pedestal yeah uh, you know they, they're the two polar opposites that by rights it, it should you know it, it could have it could have gone either way depending on who'd been doing it and who was in it and thankfully it, it goes towards the latter of being this, this amazing film that it's not just a, it's got a cult following obviously but yeah. It, it reaches beyond that. People who see it as being a cult film and then actually sit and watch it properly actually go, oh, I can I can see it now. <laughs> and this, I, I enjoy for the layers. I enjoy for, obviously, Christopher Lee and Edward Woodward's amazing performances. I yeah. think some of the performances of some of the other people um, in it, which we'll um, get into in a minute, probably, going mm. through the, the, the cast. The performances of other people, I don't think, uh, are up there. They're filling parts, but they're not necessarily doing it in in a great way, a lot of them. But they don't need to, because Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee absolutely shine out and do performances of their careers, perhaps, in in this, um, that just shows not only what great talents they were, but also show the greatness of what they were working with. So.
0: Yeah, I think some of the, um, the more minor characters may have been extras and, and not professional <laughs> yeah, actors. Yeah. Now, you picked up a copy of the director's cut on DVD yes. to watch, especially for today's show. Is it the first time you've seen that version? It is. So the extra bits are quite apparent, aren't they? Because the quality of those extra yeah, scenes are yeah. not you know, the the film stock obviously has degraded or, or whatever, so they haven't been able to restore it to exactly the same level as the rest of the movie. So you can see where these couple of minute segments are added in. Were they necessary? Did it add to the story? Did it change the story in any way for you?
1: It's a great film without them, mm. but it's even greater with them, because the, they add to the understanding of the film. It It, it makes it Makes it you can understand the reasons for some of the other things that mm. are said or done. Um, it p- provides context for some of it.
0: I think he improves but, the movie definitely.
1: Yeah, so it, it, you know, that is definitely the version to see. And and still, there's bits that are missing from even that that. Oh, there's a how was have yeah. been lost and never never recovered. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Between. Even you know, even with the the slight deterioration in, in quality compared to the other bit, just for the that minute or two for each bit of it mm. um, that is in different paths, it enhances it and and makes it more rounded film.
0: I think it also makes it a bit more unsettling because you're sitting there watching a certain you know quality of film stock, and then all of a sudden that it degrades slightly. You're like, oh, what's going on here? You know, but then you're watching and you watch it, yeah, this is this is relevant to the story and, as you say, enhances the story because it gives you more of an idea of, of what Edward Woodward is up against. I mean, the, one of the first bits that's extra um, that's been sort of added in, I think is where Christopher Lee is calling at the window to Brit Eklund. Yes. In the pub. And then there's this little cut scene of some snails crawling over a plant. Well, there's,
1: there's the scene it's right before he goes to the island, there's some scenes when he's in yeah. the car with the other policeman, isn't there? Yeah. Which, had, which helps round out Edward Woodward's character um, as far as his piety and um, almost arrogance and self-possession mm. uh, on that. And I think then, you know, as you said, there's the element where he's calling up to the window and that in- interaction between, between what they're not showing yeah. but they're alluding to and then what what, then his interaction with these snails, obviously, you know, it's not to the level of um, making a substitution like you've had on older films, where suddenly you know the the couple are meant to be about to make love and it cuts away, and then there's a train going into a tunnel. Um, Hitchcock, yeah, definitely. but yeah, but in this respect, it does absolutely give a more a, a different level mm. of interpretation of it and puts the context of that rather than it just been a. a physical act it puts it on a different level of what they're actually seeing it as from their point of view yeah. as the islanders
0: i don't want people to get the wrong impression that you know we're sort of saying oh there's so many levels to this that they're gonna you know if they haven't seen the movie they're gonna be like oh i've got to sit here and try and work out where all this is going it's, it's a <laughs> no, film you that... can,
1: no you can just watch it through on the surface level and still enjoy it
0: oh yeah there, there is a a strict narrative that runs through and the, the yeah. plot is quite simple yes. it's a remote scottish island Edward Woodward is the police officer on the mainland. Somebody has reported a child missing, and he gets there. And straight away, there's this level of unease because it's like, well, no, there, isn't, there is no child by that name. Or, And he starts to sort of investigate and finds out that, yes, there is a child. There's, there's photos missing of her up on the pub wall, you know, that she's in the school register. There's an empty desk. Yeah. So you can watch it from that level as as sort of like a, a who done it almost as a mystery but then you get this underlying sense of unease as we say all the way through and superbly carried out by just just not only Christopher Lee but some of the background characters you can just get this sense of they're all in this together they all know something and they're not letting on and the frustration on Edward Woodward's part is apparent throughout, and his anger gets more and more intense as the movie goes on and it's just a wonderful build up to the last part which will will we'll spoil later yeah but it just builds up and builds up until it's just this, this explosion at the end you know the final fifteen minutes is is just Oh, hang on! Almost a yeah. different genre. Almost here, it's gone yeah. into really dark territory.
1: But it's build up in him, yeah. Of, of the, he he is a visible show of, of that build up to that explosive, fiery climax. Yeah. his own temperament. You can see him. He turns up as being the 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 cold, hard, um, pious man that's that's um, sort of unfeeling in a way. Turns up at the beginning. And then as his his investigation goes through, his frustrations and et cetera, like you said, show a, a, a gathering frustration that you can see visibly burning in his face and how he, stat- he moves from having more authority and cool and calm when interacting with the um, Islanders to the point where he is actually losing his own self-control and that's burning inside him, yeah. Which is, is you know, indicative of the, of the progression of the film.
0: Charlie yeah. made a good point when we reviewed it on Stinking Paws that the Islanders themselves they're not their actions are not just for a sense of we're just doing this because we, you know, for the for the sake of doing it. Their actions are are, are sort of ingrained in them. They don't know anything different because they're all sort of first second generation families there that have been brought up to believe, you know, these certain beliefs that they have and these customs and traditions and, and to them sacrifice and their sort of religious beliefs or their spiritual beliefs are totally natural to them.
1: Right? Oh, it's not a, it's not a good versus evil mm. um, story. It's, it's both sides been not on, in the realm where, they consider themselves to be the good guys and yeah. that they're doing what is what is best for the island and for the community
0: yes yeah, it's what they've been taught it's what yeah. they've they've known because uh, christopher lee lord summer isle I, I think there's a mention that his grandfather was the first person to come yes. to the island wasn't it he? he brought was it apples wasn't it i think it was their crop wasn't it i think it was the a- apples Yeah, because there
1: apparently there's quite a, there's a, a a piece of dialogue with some rather elaborate speech about apples, mm. which Christopher Lee delivered. Yeah. And that's one of the things that was cut and is referenced in, in things before. Mm. And so apples was you know, mentioned, mentioned quite a lot. and We know the symbology of, of apples anyway. Mm. Yeah, apples was the catalyst for coming onto the island. And then that's why he, he, Edward Woodward makes the comment about you know apples and being exported from the island um, and having to take things out of tins.
0: That's right, yes. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's a, an island that's famous for its fresh produce and, it, and his pub meal is literally inedible because it's all, all from cans. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Broad beans shouldn't be turquoise. No, that's right, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can we take a little break here? Because what I'm going to do is when Charlie and I reviewed The Wicker Man, I think it was about three years ago, possibly four, on the Stinking Paws podcast, which is our Uh, our parent podcast as it is we had a marvelous piece of feedback uh in the form of an mp3 now it's somebody that you know quite well Stephen, isn't it
1: yes it's our friend andrew yes um from the uh, weekly geek former Weekly geek podcast um up here in my neck of the woods sheffield so and it was a, a great piece and i think i believe it's if it's not his favorite film it's one of his favorite films and i think to to reuse that review that he sent in i think would it would be squandering opportunity if we didn't replay that for people
0: yeah let's just take a listen ladies and gents to to somebody else's thoughts on the wicker man we'll be back after this
2: hello i'm andrew from the weekly geek speak podcast one of the pod pals network When it was brought to my attention that Scott and Charlie were going to be talking about The Wicker Man, I just jumped at the chance to to just pop on here and share my thoughts about this film. Uh, The Wicker Man is very easily one of my top ten films. The film has just a huge place in my heart. One reason... Being that uh, when I first started film studies, I'd always had an adoration for film. And I'd always had a love, a thrill for horror from my early teens. I was just smitten by the horror genre. And when I went to college, uh, pursuing this love of film, I took film studies. And in in this film studies, we sat through some rather strange films, such as Gloria, which is an interesting film, uh, I think Don't Look Now is actually brought to our attention as well. One film uh, that really stood out for me was The Wicker Man. And this is when I was introduced to this just spectacular film. The Wicker Man tells the story of uh, our hapless hero, Sergeant Howie, played by Edward Woodward. And we follow him basically being led down the rabbit hole by... A group of pagan Scottish folk. And what I really love about this film is the fact that it feels so different and fresh from a lot of the horror that was around at the time. And something incredibly brilliant about it is that it creates horror with hardly showing a drop of blood. During an age of of hammer horror and moving into... To, into the seventies, where horror would just take off and become more and more extreme. Uh, this was an exercise in in creating terror through very little. A psychological terror was building. You knew something was not going to go right. As Howie desperately tries to save this little girl, little does he know he is being led to one of the most shocking endings, especially for this kind of film, which really twists the tone. Um, and what I also love about that ending is the hopelessness, the the fact that these villagers have convinced themselves that this is what they need to do, and, and as Howie turns to God in the final moments, it's all he's got because he knows that it is hopeless, it's fantastic, it's a, such a strong film. Another exciting revelation uh, came when my parents actually moved up to Scotland a few years ago. They happened to, purely through coincidence, end up living in Dumfries and Galloway, which is an area where a lot of the film was filmed. It is remarkable how little it has changed up there. The Ellen Gowan, a pub in a small village called Cretown, which was used for the interior shots of The Green Man, um, the pub in which... Howie meets a large selection of the locals who sing their heathen songs to him, disgust him, and also where um, the famous scene where Britt Heckland and her body double uh, seduce Howie through the walls. I sat in the corner and I looked around and I was like, wow, this is where the camera was placed in this shot and it looks exactly the same. And finally... Something which was incredibly magical to me was going to actually see the stumps of the wicker man. These are located in a place called Burrowhead. It was once an army training area, uh, then became a holiday park, but it is home to the location of the final burning scene. Um, Unfortunately, that main wicker man has completely gone now. Um, However, lower down to get a better shot for the final shot of the film as the credits roll over the sunset and the burning head, Clapses down, that was a second wicker man, and the legs to that wicker man are still there, stumps in the ground, very little left, but actually standing there, looking out over this ravaging sea, this jagged rocks and the harshness of nature really show how we were really reflective of that scene. Treading those steps was truly magical. Anyway, that's enough from me. Um, Thank you so much to Scott and Charlie for letting me be on and just uh, share my love for this film. And if I can say one more thing before I go and hand you back to uh, Scott and Charlie. If you want to know more about The Wicker Man, a book I can highly recommend is uh, the sinisterly named Inside the Wicker Man how Not to Make a Cult Classic by uh, Alan Brown. Uh, but it's a very interesting look into what was a very uh, difficult film to make from conception to actually distribution. It had a nightmare, and the actual film that we see today isn't the film which was actually brought out. It's a very interesting read. But thank you. I won't keep you any more. It's been an absolute honour. And to quote Lord Summerisle himself, Take a seat, Sergeant. Shocks are better taken with the knees bent.
0: There we go. That's Andrew's thoughts on The Wicker Man. His enthusiasm and his love for the movie are completely evident throughout that. You've been to his house, haven't you? And you're I, fully I have, aware. Yeah, I
1: recorded, uh, I was invited onto a record of the former podcast that he did, Weekly Geekspeak, and um, sat in their uh, cinematic, as they called it, where they, um, they, they recorded. There was... I think there was a couple of versions of the DVD. There was also some books about it, and and possibly, if my memory serves, there might have even been some form of, like a statuette of a Wicker man, mm-hmm. actually on the shelf as well. And it was very apparent his love for the film. So uh, yeah. I'm not surprised that at the time he um, sent to send that, that review in to express how much he... he values
0: the film yeah nothing like rehashing old material we're not ashamed mate we'll we'll, we'll use any content that we can get to be honest i, I
1: do that with jokes all the time <laughs> it's all funny
0: So, music the music in the movie very very important it's it's i'm not going to say it's unique but it's certainly appropriate for the tone and appropriate for the subject matter and it just adds to the general sense of of creepiness, the general sense of what the hell is going on here, I think that's what put me off the very first few times I watched it as a child. It was just like, oh, what is this crazy folk music movie, you know? But the more you watch it, the more you're like, oh, yeah, this this works. This is really a vital part of the movie.
1: Can on first watch be feel a bit discordant as mm. far as that type of music and the way it it slips into it, you know, the, the action and dialogue to some extent stop and this comes in. And you, what you've got to realise is that that music is actually, and the, the what's actually happening on screen is actually part of the movie, and part of the narrative and is actually moving things along or telling you something. Um, and the, the more you realise that, the, the more you realise how evocative the actual music is, um, sometimes it's the lyrics sometimes it's just the feeling of the music yeah. and i think that it's got a lot of notice for its music and i think that the music is definitely a, 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 a almost a character in the film itself
0: i don't think it'd work as well without the music that was chosen if it was to have a traditional orchestral score the yes. movie would be tonally different i think I don't think we'd be watching it in the same way that we are now. We certainly would be discussing it in the same way.
1: No, no. Same as if you if you replaced the actors with you know some Hollywood star, mm. um, it just wouldn't wouldn't work as well. Um, and that's you know it, it's it's all the pieces together, and um, the music is part of that to make sure it actually works and gives you the feeling of the place. Yeah, and and and, and not just the place, but also of. The characters involved, it's not just the, the Islanders who are doing a lot of the actual singing and dancing and playing the music, but also the perception from our point of view of the, the music puts us in the position of Edward Woodward's character as far as how we're perceiving what's going on.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's alien to him as as much as the practices that are going on, isn't it? It's yeah. just a whole sensory feeling for him. It's not just he's seeing what's going on, he's hearing all of this music. He's you know, one of the first songs they, they sing, I think it's called The Landlord's Daughter, isn't it? You know, and he's like straight away there's like bawdy lyrics to that and he's straight away his hackles go up because of that.
1: And then it's, uh, Lindsay Kemp's uh daughter. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and and there's also at the Maypole, there's the guy yes. singing there, but but just just everything in the background generally. And and you can see why it's been brought in and how it's affecting Edward Woodward as he's going through the through the village, through the island, just trying to piece together what the hell's going on. We can't talk about The Wicker Man without briefly mentioning the abysmal remake.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say we couldn't talk about The Wicker Man without mentioning... Christopher Lee's hair. Oh, we will um, do the
0: Christopher Lee's hair. is, is <laughs> marvellous. Yeah, that's amazing. Is that a wig, or oh, did he grow that oh, specially? Do you I reckon? don't know,
1: but it's absolutely amazing, <laughs> Um it, in a great way. It just you just look at it and you just think, who else could get away with that? Yeah. Um, when you're used to yes. seeing it all
0: slicked back as Dracula or something like that, yeah, yeah to see this marvellous oh, mop of hair and and a, and a lovely yeah. check tweed but jacket but yes, and the, yeah, you, the um the
1: remake. Yes,
0: uh, um, is it
1: a remake or is it? Is it actually a remake? It, it's
0: uh, I've seen it. I saw it for research purposes when we reviewed it previously. It's not good. Um,
1: it's, you surprised me. Yeah,
0: but it's it's it's, it's also tonally nothing like this movie. It is a straightforward horror mystery starring <laughs> the ever dependable nicolas cage um, and it's quite comical in places as well and and there's this famous scene with the bees and it's it's just it's it's one of those classic cases of of why it just didn't need to be done the wicker man 2006 or as i like to call it scott takes one for the team With the hope of trying to remain impartial here, I decided that this week would be the ideal opportunity to watch the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man, directed by Neil Labute and starring, of course, Nicolas Cage. This much-maligned, mocked and internet-memed movie has not surprisingly eluded me for the past ten years. And you know what? At first, things didn't start out too bad. In this version of the film, it's revealed that Willow is the mother of the missing child Rowan, and Willow was once the fiancé of Edward Malus, played by Nick Cage. The story pretty much follows the same pattern as the original, and it tells the tale of Summer Isle's poor harvest of the year before, but only this time the crop is honey. Within the first 20 minutes, there are two references to Cage's allergy to bees that are crowbarred in for us. Yep, two, just in case you missed the first one. So, after 20 minutes, it's about now that the story falls apart along with the entire movie. We see things such as the bug that was trapped in the school desk in the 1973 film. It now becomes a crow in this movie thereby providing a really unnecessary jump scare. We discover that Rowan, the missing girl, is actually Cage's daughter, whom we knew nothing about. The only contact with the outside world, a surprise surprise there's no mobile phone signal on the island, is the radio on the plane that brought Cage in originally, and would you believe it, it's been smashed to pieces. Perhaps the most disheartening thing is seeing the usually marvellous and ever-reliable Ellen Burstyn, reduced from captivating actress to pantomime villainess as she takes on the role made famous originally by Christopher Lee. Towards the end, as Nick Cage becomes the Nick Cage we know and love, a manic wide-eyed loon, I started to enjoy the film a little more, with lines such as Step away from the bicycle! and there was an actual laugh-out-loud moment as he lays out Sister Beach with a single punch to the jaw. More well, punching of women soon follows, by the way. And Lili sabiski gets a roundhouse kick straight in the chops in a move worthy of Jean-Claude Van Damme himself. What soon follows is the now-legendary shot of Cage dressed as a bear punching out another female member of the cast. This, in turn, leads to Cage being captured, placed in the wicker man and burnt alive. of the famous no no not the bee scene I hear you cry as if you actually care at all well in this version I saw it was missing Cage is captured and as he's being carried to the wicker man we hear sounds of events leading up to it he cries out something like ouch my legs or something like that I really can't remember and I had to run over to YouTube and I found that a good couple of minutes had been edited from the film that I was watching not only the part where Cage's legs are broken the only part of the movie I was really looking forward to. No, no, not the bees. So it appears there may be several different cuts of this movie, as with the original. We discover that Cage has been selected not because he's pure, as in the case of Edward Woodward, but because he, as Bernstein explains, he is connected to us by blood. And then, wait for it, Burst in turns out to be Willow's mother, thereby Rowan's grandmother. And that, dear listener, is where the film truly fell apart for me. It came crashing and burning down like the Wicker Man himself. I was willing to give this film a fair shot. As I've said on the podcast previously, I try to see some merit in the movies I watch, as I can appreciate how much effort goes into making them. This movie had very little evidence of effort, and for the lovers of the original, there's no excuse for this film's existence at all. To add insult to injury, and I have no qualms in spoiling the ending here, there is an epilogue set six months later on the mainland, where we see sisters Willow and Honey out on the pool in a bar chatting up James Franco, no less, in the hope of luring him back to the island as their next victim, presumably. The film ends with Franco smiling, Cage screaming and the buzzing of the bees before the end credits appear, revealing that the movie is dedicated to Johnny Ramone, of all people. There's no sense of realism in this version, whereas in the original there's this overhanging feeling of genuine dread and unease. You actually feel a sense of foreboding in the original, and you're genuinely uncomfortable in places. Here, no, unfortunately. 2006 movie doesn't fall under the category of so bad it's good. The problem is that there is just no need for this film to have been made when the original stands up head and shoulders above this on its own merits. In a similar vein, while we're on the subject, I just want to add that I have no intention of seeing this year's remake of Ben-Hur for exactly this reason, and my heart sank when I heard a few days ago that Hollywood is planning to remake one of my all-time favourites, Papillon. At first, I was beginning to think that perhaps this wasn't going to be such a bad film, and it turned out to be as awful as I'd been led to believe, unfortunately. If the original didn't exist and we had nothing to compare it to, I don't think there would have been such a negative reaction to the film. As I say, not... not exactly bad. Certainly not good, but most definitely just plain unnecessary. Unnecessary. No, not the beast! Not the beast! Ah! Oh my eyes!
2: My eyes! Ah!
1: Ah! <laughs> but you're laughing at you laughing at it rather than with it yeah comical it's not like in the the original um one, one of one of the things i'd forgotten about until i watched it last night mm. uh, one of the things that that just made me smile and and you know laugh inward with inwardly was when he's searching the houses yeah. and um the the girl is she's hidden herself in one of the cupboards yes and he opens the door and she stood upright in the cupboard and she falls out of the cupboard and he watches her fall to the floor and she's got her <laughs> eyes open and there's this like blood coming out of her mouth and he's all shocked and then suddenly she gets up laughing and walks away. Yeah. And <laughs> just, I found that hilarious. <laughs> and um, that that's laughing with it. Whereas yeah. uh, with the remake, <coughs> if we can call it a remake, yeah. the rehash, yes. the abomination, yeah. um, that um, I think it's a, it is a a question of why, why bother.
0: Yeah, it seems uh, to happen quite often, you know, and... What this version does, it just it just creates an atmosphere that I think modern horrors don't do now. You know, a lot of them rely on jump scares or elaborate sort of CGI special effects, whereas this is quite simply filmed. It's quite basic.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not. A, yeah, I'm not a horror fan person. No, uh, because too many horror films, particularly uh, when I was growing up, what I experienced has been horror films. Were ones that just fell in. Yeah, they're just, they're just, they're, they're, they just they just the there were jump scares. It was gore. Yeah. The actual plot was worth a thin. Yep. You know, you could get more plot in a Jackie Chan film, to be honest. <laughs> remember, and so it was only when going back over sort of previous decades that really leading up to the Wicker Man, to be yeah. perfectly honest, mm. that the stuff previous to that that showed what horror is and can be rather than it diluting down to being this jump-scare, gore-fest with no plot. And this is really a culmination, I think, of a number of years of people perfecting what horror can be in a thriller sense, where it's actually... It, it does horrify rather than just make you feel horror at the goal sort of thing. It creeps you out. I mean, I think mm. I read. I think I read to do with the remake that Nicholas Cage had been creeped out by the film to such an extent that it, it continued to play on his mind and bother him for weeks. And then he decided to go and obviously exercise the creepiness <laughs> by going and making something that um, was nothing had like me. none of the qualities whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, if you look up um, the version of the Wicker Man that we're talking about on imdb Mm. you'll see one of the stills that's crept in there in as far as photos is from the nicholas cage version for some reason which which is worrying. but yeah it's again it's hollywood going and remaking something that, that there's no need to remake and then making a complete ass of it yeah and there's very few examples where they've actually remade something and it's been better or has it even been the same quality?
0: Oh, exactly. Exactly. <coughs> I mean, what I like about the original version is its pace. It's it's quite slow, but it's deliberately slow. You're, you're going on that journey with Edward Woodward. You know, you are discovering things at the same pace and the time that he is.
1: It's an evolution. Of,
0: yeah. Of, it takes of a long time about, to get yeah. to where we're going to get to in a moment, what we're going to be talking about. And, Mark Gatiss had this marvellous, I don't know if he invented the term, but do you remember that series he did? I think it was called History of Horror about seven, eight years ago, maybe longer than that now, actually. Yeah. And he used the term, it was for this and a couple of other movies. He called it folk horror, and it was this, and I think The Witchfinder General. Blood on Satan's Ooh, Claw, is, you know.
1: Yeah, which another Witchfinder General. Yeah, that's another yeah. one that we'll get to eventually. Yeah,
0: and he was calling it, you know, he created, I'm sure he must have coined the phrase, but folk horror for that particular sort of subgenre. And that's, that's what it is. It sums it up quite nicely, actually, because it, it does evoke a certain feeling when you see this. And then you watch Witchfinder General, you think, yeah, actually, I can actually put that together with this movie. I love yeah, it. Mm.
1: it feels like it's something that almost could happen whereas a lot of horrors you feel no whereas this is is it, it's it's and it's rooted within our own traditions and uh, history mm. so you you can you can feel more in touch with where the folk element comes in it's not just the the, the music that they're in it but that, that that absolutely sums it up you're right that folk horror is is how it's it, it's it's in the blood of our culture sort of thing I can see where you're coming from on that. Yeah, yeah.
0: we still see it, you know, it, up and down in villages across the country on May Day. You know, these ceremonies are still going on, these traditions, the Maypole and Sweeps Festivals and and, and the Green Man, isn't it, rather than the Wicker Man, I think, around May Day. Yeah. But not to the extent of what actually goes on <laughs> in this movie, you know. Um, let's talk about the ending. I, I think most people are fully aware of, of what happens at the end. And how the movie gets its title. Yourself and I have watched this movie. Dozens of times. Yeah. That ending. I watched it two nights ago. I'm fully prepared for what's going to happen. Absolutely fully prepared. But that sense of dread in that last 15 minutes. Leading up to the finale. It still creeps me out. It really got me again. I'm like oh my god. For a film from 1973, all right, you know, we've had horror films previous to this that may have pushed the boundaries a little bit. But without resorting, as you say, to special effects and gore, and stuff, it is just one of the finest endings to a horror movie ever.
1: Yeah. As we've said before, you're you led up to it in a, a slow evolution. And when it gets there, it feels... it. it there's... <laughs> The odd thing is that when it gets there, there's still an element of shock to it, which is is encouraged by the um, performance of Edward Woodward mm. um, in his reaction to it, which is incredibly well well performed. But there's also an element where it feels inca- incredibly natural that that is the conclusion.
0: Yeah. you You know that something is going to happen because, as we say, the tension's building up. The pace of the movie is leading us to something, something that's going to be a little bit special because there's no way you can sort of resolve the case and, and fly off from the island happy ever after, you know that this is not going to be a, a, a movie with a happy ending, you know, no. it's, it's a horror film, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not going to be like that for people that haven't seen it or are unaware, um, one of the big traditions on the island is the building of a wicker man and a human sacrifice now traditionally it would have been a member of the community but of course with edward woodward poking his nose into the business of the islanders something has to be done and he gets elected to become the sacrifice for this year's ceremony and he gets thrown into this this wicker man how tall would you say that is 40 50 feet tall possibly i'm not sure yeah
1: it's gotta be yeah it's gotta be 40 to 50 yeah
0: yeah and he's he's sort of incarcerated into the belly of this huge wicker man and it's set alight amongst other, you know, farmyard animals there as well. I think it was more upset that they were being burnt alive than him. Um, that entire scene, you know, the close-ups of his face at the bars of the cage almost, screaming out to the Lord, you know, and his, you know, his saviour trying to, trying to... Singing out, his hymn, yeah. Singing his hymn, and, and, and meanwhile, they're doing their own private sort of act of religion or worship down below, you know, to their to their god, the wicker man himself, you know. And it's... it's great, this just clash of, of beliefs, this clash of cultures and um, it is a totally unnerving ending to an
1: unnerving film Yeah, and you know that, that clash as you say with uh, the, the religions, both sides feeling like they're in the right Yeah, and that being the culmination obviously he, earlier on at the very beginning of the film especially when you see the previously deleted scene um, and stuff where he's, he's trying to say about um, not drinking and singing on a Sunday and all this kind of stuff, that the pubs uh, and etc. cetera, that even though it's, it's not part of the, the zeitgeist, it's not part of the, the culture anymore. It's, it's old-fashioned, I think is the word he uses. Um, he's at odds with that, but he still insists that as a minority, his, his religion should be obeyed and that their rules and the tenants and the, the um, traditions of his religion should be obeyed. And then he's on the receiving end of that in, in a quite a harsh way at the end of the film. And that's the, the turnabout of it in some ways. But th- that clash that they, they, they both feel that they're doing the right thing.
0: and They're equally right and they're equally wrong, yeah. I think as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and- Woodward's performance is, is just phenomenal in this last ten minutes. He's, he's great throughout the movie, but he just comes into his own in this last ten minutes. It's it's just great to watch him sort of pleading to his, to his saviour that, you know, help me, help me, or whatever, singing his hymns, as you say. But they're dancing around in their traditional manner, and it's almost pointless in a way. You know, it's not going to achieve anything because as we say who's right who's wrong and 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 the villagers as i mentioned earlier they don't know any different to them that's right this is how they were brought up this is their beliefs this has been handed down to them for like two or three generations it's just this whole sense of oh at the end it, it's no I can't think of a word to describe how i felt at the end it's just it still punched me in the stomach even 10 15 viewings later it,
1: yeah it does because you've got the element where this is from you know, from our perspective we've seen it before, it's expected, we know that's what we're working towards, right, from when the, the titles come up at the beginning.
0: Yeah.
1: But it's still that horror of that situation and and that how it um does punch you in the stomach and you know, puts him in the stomach mm. of the wicker band, but it punches yeah. us in the stomach as, <laughs> as far as sudden suddenly they realise that this, these people are gonna go through with this and, and still feel like that they're, they're doing the right thing.
0: Yeah,
1: and, and and that you know that people could do horrifying things in the belief that they they are doing right and being good, and that pervades you know society. Unfortunately, that that I think puts a, a knot in our stomachs because we realise that that you know where things can go through people being misguided. I think the. the just as a tangent, mm. the other element of belief to talk about um, with this film is the belief that the people who are the, the main players in it, in uh, on screen and off screen, had in it to actually bring it to the screen. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Christopher Lee, um, he, he didn't take any wages for it. I think the screenwriter didn't take any wages That's
0: right, for it yeah. either.
1: The director took a minimal fee and. Um, all these kind of things. It, it was, it was a project of passion. I think I even read some time ago that um, for all the, the promotion for it, that Christopher Lee went anywhere he could to promote the film because he believed so much in it. He pay out of his own pocket to go to some out the way place in in rural United States in order to promote this film because he so passionately believed in it that he was he was willing to put himself out to that degree. Um, and the fact that he, you know, I think he said it was his favourite film he'd done, the belief to actually bring this to the screen, because I can I understand that it might have been difficult at a certain aspect to get it past certain movie bigwigs, that 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 belief was very important in bringing this to the screen for us to be able to have this Has been, you know, a, a film of such note and um, for us to appreciate, but because imagine just from initial premise of this how well you could sell it just if you try to describe it to somebody before it's actually been made it's uh might be a bit of a hard sell in some respects
0: yeah I, i i could imagine that the fans of the hammer horror hammer horror genre would have would have lapped this up and i'm just trying to see here what the sort of reception or the or the reaction to the movie on its release was it says it had a moderate success. It won first prize in the 1974 Festival of Fantasy and Science Fiction Films in Paris, but largely slipped into obscurity, which is true. I think it did. And it's not until sort of recently that this cult status has developed. But also, I think it's, it's been more appreciated for the fact that, alright, it's a horror film. It also defies genre, I think. Gattis refers to it as a folk horror most people would class it as a horror movie. It's a mixture of genres. It's we said at the beginning, you quite rightly pointed out. But it's, it it defies it defies yes. classification, I think. It's quite rightly, I think, become a very important horror, not just a British horror, but in the history of horror movies full stop. It's it's a shame because Robin Hardy never really went on to make much else, did he? I think was it was it the Wicker Tree? I think there was this other
1: yeah which um, um i believe i've not seen it but no. um I, I believe- i believe that the best thing about that was the cover artwork for the actual <laughs> um d v d and a poster um, um so I, I i don't think it i think i think it did a little bit of the remake of we commanded where it took an element of the the original film and distilled that down into a film but forgot all the all the nuances that made the original a success really uh, nice. which is a shame because he did such a great job with this um, but um you know if you've only you only got a handful of things in or even you know three things in your back catalog and one of them is the Wicker Man, I think you can rest easy really oh, I think you've done <laughs> uh, I think you've honest. done okay yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> interestingly as as a a final thought you know this this movie has become sort of ingrained into public consciousness over the last 20 years or so, possibly a little bit longer, but as we say, it wasn't amazingly successful at the beginning. I've just read at the bottom of Wikipedia, this is how sort of culturally significant the movie is. You ready? In 2018, a roller coaster inspired by the film opened at Alton Towers. The wooden roller coaster features a six-story Wicker Man structure which the train passes through three times as it bursts into flames.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: speechless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. Right. Um, that 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 I wouldn't say is necessarily the um, the pinnacle of it. its its cultural <laughs> success,
0: but it proves but that people are still aware of it and creating.
1: It, it does. It, it proves but... it still um, still goes into people's consciousness and yeah. still has the power to evoke um, something in people. Um, which is good because it means that hopefully people will be put off doing any further attempts at remaking it yes, because they'll just please. say let's just stick with what what we had as <laughs> has been a classic.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's there's greater ways of paying homage to you know one of the finest British horror movies ever made than than a roller coaster. Put it that way. For me, five star movie on Letterboxd, You're going to recommend that people see this on the big screen on on any possible format they can find it.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there may be some people out there who definitely know this is not the type of film for them and, and fair enough, and I still recommend them maybe give it a go because they might surprise themselves. But for anybody else who is open to this kind of thing, absolutely get the opportunity to see it on a big screen. Um, it's going to enhance the experience yeah. and and make it that you, you fully appreciate how great a film it is to be yeah and,
0: and the final cut version as well we're sort of recommending
1: as well aren't we rather than the original theatrical absolutely film. yeah I yeah. think if they did show it on a big screen now if you went to a cinema for a special showing of it I'm pretty sure they'd show the directors one on rather than the cut version I'd be surprised if if all but the most budget of, of TV channels um, if they were showing it, I imagine that um, any other ones would be showing it in its full entirety. I don't know about streaming services, but I imagine the streaming services would attempt to show it in its best version. Yeah, uh, I think that's what's
0: happened with Blade Runner and things like that, where there's so many yeah. different versions have come out. It's it's the final version that is the, the more common one that's screened screen now, I think. Highly recommended, highly unsettling, but highly enjoyable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it is one that you can return to. Um, there might be some people who watch it once and think, that didn't do it for me or it unnerved me too much and I don't want to go back to it. But for most other people that have an appreciation, even even a, a, maybe not an appreciation to the level that we have of cinema, but do have an appreciation of good films, I think most of them would realise that this is something that they need to revisit. They may yeah. even watch it once and think, oh, I'm not sure about that, and then at a later <laughs> stage think, yeah, I might give that another go because I didn't quite get it, but I feel like I was missing something. They'll yeah. go back and then they'll get it, yeah. um, like I did. Similar um, to us. You, yeah. t- you, you yourself, you know, yeah. it, it, we we were brave enough to go back and see it a second time and actually realise that we'd underappreciated it. Yeah. And um, absolutely, it's a film that stands as being an absolute... It's a, it's a classic of cinema, but particularly it's a classic of, of British cinema. And uh, whether it's in the the horror genre or not or whether it's just a film that involves horror along with like 17 other genres um it still stands the test of time and is something that needs to be staying the consciousness and staying people's appreciation excellent
0: well said sir okay let's take a short break we're going to be back with what we're watching next time Stephen, what we're watching next time is Down to Your Good Self. Now I know subconsciously we both try and mix the genres up, so if, you know, we're reviewing a horror this week we'll try and review something lighter, or if it's a war film, we'll try and review a comedy the following episode or or different eras, you know, so we've done a seventies movie, so next week we might do a thirties movie. Um I've got yeah, no see. idea what you've chosen.
1: Yeah, so the only only thing you have in your mind currently is that it's probably not going to be uh, horror from the nineteen seventies. That's yeah, about it. That's, that's what all you can.
0: Yeah, know. and I, I yeah. hate to hazard a guess as to what you've chosen because when you came on board to the podcast, you sent me. List upon list of potential titles, and and there were so many I can't even remember what was on there to be honest. So, and this
1: is actually not one that's on on my my list of I've got a list on my phone of of about 60 films that are in consideration for at some point as covering, and uh, this is not one that's actually on that list. So, um, there you go. I love Uh, this
0: part of the show because I'm I'm completely in the dark as to what you're going to give to me for next time. So, fire
1: away, sir, fire away. Right, it's uh, a film from 1988. Okay. Um, it's a a comedy drama from one of my favourite British directors yeah Um, and it stars uh, Phil Davis and Ruth Sheen amongst others yeah Uh, Leslie Manville I think as well yeah it's got to be Mike Um, Lee isn't
0: it it's um, oh oh, I can't think of
1: the title of it it's It's High Hopes
0: I've seen I think I saw it when it came out yeah I've seen most Mike Lee stuff I'm sure I saw but it's one I haven't gone back to
1: well, I feel, I felt you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Mike Lee's films, yeah. uh, along with Ken Loach particularly. Um, they fit into my my ethos and oh, ideology yeah. quite easily and stuff. But I thought, although it's not my favourite Mike Lee film, mm-hmm. I thought we'd start at the beginning.
0: We and, need to. Uh, over yeah. the
1: years, we will work our way through. So this yeah. is really, although he did things for television and a few other, other, other shorts oh, and, yeah. and things, this is really the first proper film from my clean. So we shall start with, with this and <laughs> see where it goes. It's about yeah. a working class couple in London, mm. um and the um impending uh, birthday of the, the one of the um the elderly mother of one of the, the couple and um I can't remember anything the, the, about the family it. relations that go on around yeah. this uh this this so it's um it's very much a, a different ilk to what we've just been Oh, God, I mean, a completely different beast,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing I think I can remember, is it the one where Phil Davis does not look like Phil Davis? Hasn't he got, like, a huge beard and glasses?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Is that the one? Yeah. That's Bearded, the one isn't beard it? and glasses and, and long hair, yeah. Yes. He, he, he looks very much like the occupant-type old um, Trump.
0: Yeah, he looks like an Open University professor that you used to see on BBC Two. On the, on a, Exa- a, exactly,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's the best description I think there is that's
0: all I can remember about the movie because I say I'll, I'll always go back and watch Life is Sweet or Nuts in May or Abigail's Party and things like that but this one, I think I probably only watched it once when it very first came out. So I'm really looking forward yeah, to that. Yeah, I think
1: I've only seen it once as well. I mean, I've, I've watched... Uh, my favourite is, is Naked. I've watched that a number of times. Um, Secrets and Lies, and mm. as you say, the others as well. I've, yeah. know. But this one, I think, is one of the ones I've watched least. So, But I thought we'd start, start at the beginning.
0: I like the idea of starting at the beginning because similar to things like the carry-ons and the James Bonds if we can do them in Novelist, sequence yeah. I think we can see progression can't we and see how yeah. things develop and evolve so great choice as per usual just
1: felt like the right time for it
0: excellent alright mate we're going to be back hopefully next week week after with yes. High Hopes see you very soon my friend thank you for coming along
1: no thank you for having me cheers Check mate
0: bye bye
1: absolute a positive sha. Well, boy,
0: Goodbye.
1: Good luck. Thank you.
0: send up sir